another episode of Pocket Mall Talks. This is your host, Brett. Over the way, as usual, at the controls is Devin. Hey, how's it going? Uh, before we jump into things a little bit, um, we have a little extra time between episodes this time. Uh, we don't go into what's going on here all that much. Devin was uh, is in school, so he was off for finals. I had a big trial in the midst of that, so that's why a little bit of, little bit of gap in our episodes. Want to give a little shout out to Devin. He officially got into his school of business. Um, I don't know why we're putting that in here. <laughs> so very proud of him for that. Um, today we're going to jump into a different topic than what uh, uh, some of the things we've been talking about in recent times. There's a young gentleman by the name of Young Thug, and he's a big superstar rapper. He was he's he's been big since I was a kid. He's worked with the likes of Drake, um, Elton John. Four or five years ago, his album, So Much Fun, it had de- uh, debuted at number one on the Billboard Top 200. He's consistently putting out songs that are always at the top. I mean, if you've listened to the radio at any point, especially, you know, in the 2010s to the 2020s, you've, you've heard him on there. And anybody who likes rap knows about him for sure. How old is he? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Maybe in his mid-30s. I'm going to look while, yeah. you, while you keep going. So... He's huge, and he's also he's also known for his bold fashion statements and taking a part of his feminine side. And because of that, there's uh, been questions called in about his sexuality and whatnot. And he's he's just a very dynamic person. He's and 32. Yeah, he, yeah. I, I know he's not that old. He's not that old at all. I mean, I think he started rapping when he was like 16. At what point though can you not use young? I mean, maybe it's a mindset. I don't know how they'd put it. Old thug. <laughs> Some point he turns into old thug. Maybe when he gets out of prison, <laughs> he's considered old thug if if he gets convicted. So yeah, we're going to talk about today. Uh, he's uh, in a little hot water in Hotlanta. Yeah. So this same prosecutor, Fannie Willis, this is the exact same prosecutor that's going after Trump on that RICO indictment in Georgia, Fulton County. That's crazy. I didn't even think about that fact. That imagine having both of these things going on at the same time because they're, they're as the prosecutor. That, yeah, that's the one that's. Push, trying to push the trial right now. Let's yeah, it's, it's sink or swim for her. Yeah. Like, it, like if she succeeds on both of these, she's probably going to be a superstar. If she fails on both forever. of these, yeah. Well, she didn't even have any opposition when she ran. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, so she was, like, elected by default. That, that would be a crazy thing. And it, it, you know, having at one point worked in a prosecutor's office, there's always cases that hit the office that are, are high profile, and usually, uh, you know, sometimes people think that, well, the elected prosecutor's got to do all the stuff. The elected prosecutor rarely is the one that's trying the cases. Uh, there's usually a couple dynamos in the office that are sort of well-known for being the best trial lawyers. They'll Why get assigned these gyms. Why wouldn't you want the elected prosecutor being, like, a fire trial lawyer? Well, being a— being a You would think the elected is the best of the best. Well, being a, an, an awesome trial lawyer does not necessarily go hand-in-hand hand with being an awesome politician. Those are definitely two different trials. So you think a sets. lead or the elected prosecutor is more of a politician than they are a prosecutor? Depends. And in my time as a prosecutor, I'd say I worked under some that I thought were um, really good trial lawyers and some that I thought that got elected because they were really good politicians. Um, you know, I would say, and, and I don't go into too many personal names, but... Before I worked in Marion County, there was a gentleman by the name of uh, Scott Newman. He was the elected prosecutor in Marion County. He was very much a well-respected trial lawyer before he got elected as prosecutor. And so sometimes it goes hand-in-hand. But once you get 
the job of elected prosecutor in a major metropolitan area like Atlanta, it's different because everybody wants you to be part of everything, right? So, well, yeah. What is what do they do most of their time if they're not trying? Trials. Well, I mean, it's like Safe Streets Coalition is going to want you to be on that board. Community Corrections wants you to be on their board. Oh, so you're just on a lot of boards? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots and lots of governmental, like the mental health court wants you to become their meetings, you know. So the, the elected prosecutor is, is a, 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 in a figurehead position in some extent, but also they want them to be a part of everything that has to do with the criminal justice system. Judges want them to come to judges' meetings. They, they get pulled in a million different directions. So... Some elected prosecutors will sit on these big cases and, and actually prosecute themselves. Sometimes they'll sit on these big cases and they'll play minor roles in the trial, and they're just there to be present because it's a big deal. Uh, and some of them will not even be in the courtroom while the big cases are going on. But usually there's – and different officers are called different things, and some in some jurisdictions are called prosecutors. Sometimes Some jurisdictions, they're called district attorneys. And in, in each of those jurisdictions, there's uh, de- either deputy prosecutors or assistant district attorneys. Same with the federal system. There's a, um, assistant USAs, U.S. attorneys. Um, those, are the, those are kind of the soldiers, if you will. They're the ones that are in the, in the line of fire, down in the trenches, fighting these cases out on a day-to-day basis. But these ones that get high notoriety take a tremendous amount of resources and, 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 and energy um, it's very hard on these offices. This, this, wh- how long this young thug, how long did jury selection take? Jury selection took 10 months. I do also want to say before you get into the thick of it, that there is an underlying controversy. Well, there's a lot related to this case, but the main one, and this really calls into question Fannie Willis in general, before she was, that's a, the prosecutor. That, that's the, that's the elected prosecutor. Okay. Uh, that, that's not the prosecutor that is trying him though. There is another prosecutor. I think there's almost multiple. The yeah. yeah. She's probably honestly paying more attention to the Trump case. Yeah. Um, of course, the, now there's she has a special investigation that was opened up to her because it says that she colluded with the January 6th committee against Trump. Then, But unrelated to Trump, um, before she was elected, she tried to open her own law practice. Okay. And she had a client who is now or was a defendant of Young who would who would have been a defendant of Young Thug in this Rico case. Oh, okay. That client she was having sexual relationships with. Well, that's not appropriate. And that client is not charged in this Rico case. So that's one of the things being said at least. That's an allegation. Well, there is proof that she definitely like had a relationship. Well, represented him and had a relationship, yes. So, so they're calling into question why he wasn't charged. Maybe if that's what started all of this. Well, and that's the bad. That's a tough thing of being an elected prosecutor. When you may, it, it, that job requires, and we're going to actually just sort of preface a, a future episode. We're going to we're going to do an episode here down the road on the the powers of of what it means to be a prosecutor because it's it's a hugely powerful position. But what what does come with that is when you um, attack big names. They don't just sit by and defend themselves. They attack back. Yeah. Uh, and Trump's doing that, and it sounds like Young Thug's doing that to an extent, too. Um, well, not even just them, but think they're, they're supporters. Their base. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's— Of course, they, Young Thug isn't going to want to say anything slanderous to her. He's he's taking the quiet route. He's not doing the up in arms like Trump is, but his base is doing that for him. Yeah, no, and, and, and so is Trump's. I mean, they're all— uh, yeah, gonna Trump will get on a, TV and call her a whatever. Right, you know what I mean? Right, like, right. the young Doug isn't going to do that. Yeah, but they all will claim that they're the subject of a witch hunt. Yeah. And then try to show that the prosecutor is making biases or doing things for the wrong reasons. And, yeah, it, it can be a real thankless job when you're prosecuting somebody that's uh, 
got sort of that celebrity status. Yeah. So another person that was in this highly, uh, high, highly politicized case is Gunna. And Gunna, last year, he took an Alfred plea deal. That'd be G-U-N-N-A. Yep. Right. He, he took an Alfred plea deal, which basically means that he isn't admitting fault, but that he admits that the evidence against him would be enough to secure a guilty and um, or convict him at least. And with that, he admitted that this group was a gang in front of the judge. And so because of that, he's they tried to blackball him from the industry. Uh, he's the only one from Atlanta that released an album this year. So there's been a lot of people in the rap game mad that, you know, he's getting all this notor- notoriety, so to speak, and hasn't fallen off like they want him to. Um, but Gunna was brought into the light by Young Thug. And Young these two were considered like actual brothers. There would be no Gunna without Young Thug. And so the fact that Gunna kind of turned on him, and cause, especially because Gunna had the least amount of charges out of everybody. Like, I think his charges would have amounted up to like six months. Wow. And so the fact that he did that uh, was well, huge it, and is still it, being it, talked about to this day. It would be interesting to know behind the scenes, they probably tried to pressure him into doing way more than that, right? Like they probably tried to get him to, to testify about specific events. And so it probably ended up being a compromise for him to say, okay, I acknowledge this was a gang. That that's important, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we get into the into the the RICO charges. That you mentioned that the Alfred plea, um, all these, it, you'll hear things all the time, and we're talking about legal stuff like Miranda, and when you hear about evidence that is uh, exculpatory, um, there's there's a name for that. That's all. They're all based on the last names of the defendants who appealed these cases and created new case law. Sculpatory was a last name? No, no, no. Sculpatory evidence is a type of, uh, it's called Brady material. Oh, okay, Brady. Yeah, so Brady's the last name of the guy that took the case to appeal that created a rule that if there's exculpatory evidence, the prosecution must turn it over. If, if not, it's now called a Brady violation because Brady is the last name of the guy that took that up. Miranda warnings, where somebody has to be read all their rights before they can be interviewed in a custodial situation, it's just the last name of the guy that took it up when somebody got a confession without from him without reading him his rights first. So they became Miranda warnings. Now that's the same thing. Alfred, uh, they, I don't know the exact background of Alfred, but Alfred probably took a plea without acknowledging his um, his uh, guilt guilt, and that was either shot down or whatever. And went up to the court of appeals, and they said, "No, you can do that at least in that state." And now it's called an Alfred plea. The Alfred pleas are more commonly called in other jurisdictions, one of those fancy Latin phrases that make attorneys be able to have their jobs, uh, nolo contendere, and nolo contendere means you're just pleading no contest. We do not have that. Oh, we don't have any uh, no contest at no, all? No, no, no. Indiana, you have to admit guilt. Uh, it's Pull a all that out then. Very, st- uh, it's something, you know, as a, as a, as a defense attorney, and prosecutors, we probably would like to have that tool because you can say, all right, yeah, you, 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 you can probably prove me guilty, but I'm not, I don't think I did it and I'm not going to admit I did it, but I'll take, I'll take a hit for it. Now, of course, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when it comes to the charges and the, or the conviction that they're going to get, the time that they're going to do, how it's going to look on them later in life. Like it's going to, yeah, it's, it's still treated same. as a conviction. Yep. Yeah, I don't know, I'll contender, but you get to maintain your innocence. And in the end, if you maintain your innocence, you're pleased rejected. So you have to say, I did the crime. And if you don't think you did the crime, you're supposed to go to trial. That's how Indiana looks at it. So it is different than these other. And if I'd you say, can't afford the trial, go after yourself. Uh, that's what we get public defenders for. 
Okay, and, and but, then screw yourself, literally. Well, the, the I mean, that's a mixed bag. You know, you get you got good and bad, like in every profession. I don't blame them at all. I, I mean, they're just too busy. Oh yeah, for sure. They're overworked. Yeah, and no, yeah. When you're getting five hundred dollars for a case that's going to take you a week to try or whatever, that's, that's that a normal attorney would probably get eight, nine, ten thousand. Yeah, that's that makes it very difficult. But these no low contender pleas are something that exists. I'd say probably in about half the jurisdictions. It gives you an option to resolve your case without having to admit your guilt. Uh, and that that's what happened where this guy, it's really interesting because if they, if he did a Alfred plea, then he shouldn't have had to admit to anything, but then they got him to admit to this. What's the name of the organization? Uh, YSL is in being a gang. So basically yeah. the way there was a video of it, it was videotaped and the judge was basically like, by accepting this Alfred plea, you will have to admit that uh, YSL was a gang, and the only thing that he said was yes. Yeah, and so that was the term of his plea. So the prosecutor gave him whatever he gave him in return for getting an admission, not to his guilt of whatever that crime was, but to the fact that this organization was a gang. And right. something that he was obviously, he or she was going to utilize to create this much this massive indictment that came later. Yeah, and that's important because, of course, the prosecution is alleging that YSL is a gang, the defense is alleging that YSL is a record label, which is true, full of rap artists, and that it is not a gang, and that it is just a group of guys that are you know, trying to make it big in the rap world. Of course, it could be both. Yeah, it could be both, and it probably started off as a gang first and then turned into a rap label, as most of these rappers, you know, there, there's rappers where they don't do anything, right? They've never done anything criminal, and they're honestly kind of weak, but when they talk about in their songs, it'd make you think that they're, they've really lived that life, and it's because... They have seen that. They grew up around that, right? And then there's people who have really lived that stuff. There's people like uh, Gucci Mane and uh, Yo Gotti and Young Dolph who was killed last year. These people actually lived that life. They actually were huge in the cocaine trade specifically related to those three and uh, rap about what their life used to be. And so a big cornerstone of this case is if prosecution can use uh, music videos and song lyrics as a basis to charge someone and use that as evidence against them because it, and what the defense says is that this should be kept as uh, artistic freedom. And what was the other, what was the other rapper that we talked about on a different episode? YMW Melly. Yeah. YMW Melly. It's so, so some of that very same similar stuff. to that. Um, and that's something that, you know, if you're in this industry of, of creating music or creating raps that are going to at least derive somewhat from your actual life experience. You know, you got to be careful if that life experience includes anything I mean, anything it's no criminal. different than the country people talking about slamming down a bunch of alcohol at a bar and then driving or whatever it may be. And that'd be like, well, why don't you hit him with DUI? I mean, a little, little less serious than some of the things that well, they're, right, but they're I talking mean, about doing Same here. concept. Yeah, now, well, I think... If they were later prosecuted for a DUI, maybe they would. You know, if they if they're talking about their drinking show and driving history. all the time, sure. show history maybe, yeah, and, and the, the intent. And a lot of these crimes involve intent and knowledge. And do did they know this activity was going on? Well, if you're singing, if you're if you're rapping about something, and you're singing, and there are specific facts or specific lyrics that match up, you know, in in whole or in part with an activity that actually happened. Man, as a defense attorney, I'd be telling you, don't do that. Yeah, there's 182 overt acts, and one of those overt acts specifically is a song by Young Thug, and a lyric of it is, it goes, 
I never killed nobody, but I had something to do with that body. Yeah, and and <sighs> create lyrics like that at your own peril if you're associating with people that have killed people because that's uh, you know, that's you're you're. If you later get charged, they're going to say you were confessing in your own in your own artistry. Now, obviously, that's the thing too. Is just the it's so hard to tell. I mean, obviously, some things might might seem obvious and, and stuff, right? But a lot of people think, well, I didn't do it, so I I can't be charged with it, so I should be okay to talk about it. And the criminal justice system and our laws are just so wide and encompassing. I mean, well, it, if you if it's you, hard for the daily person to not realize to realize how many laws they may be breaking in a day. Yeah, if you get if you get charged with murdering somebody, for example, and you've created a song about murdering somebody, prosecutors going to put that in every day, all day. Yeah, even if you Tuesday. didn't do it, right? Because that's evidence, and and you can argue, you know, what the what the defendant defense attorney is going to say. Objection, Your Honor. This is this is. Uh, a song it's it's just taking justice with creating lyrics and and you know creating entertainment and music it's not anything it's not a confession it's not true life you know the judge is going to say in response to that okay counsel that goes to the weight of the evidence not the admissibility you can argue that all day to the jury they should ignore it because it's a song that's fine great argument for you but the jury will decide whether or not that's that's what that was and so it's going to come in uh so you know anybody that's out there you know it's a budding artist or uh, a, a rap artist or any type of artist for that matter, if you are associating with people that are in any way engaging in risky behaviors, you know, and you create a song about, I didn't kill somebody, but I had others do it. And man, even then, let's, let's say you, you really had nothing to do with anything, but you're maybe making rap songs, but you live in the ghetto and you're rapping about the things you see. And it, I mean, you live in the ghetto. It's hard to have friends who haven't committed crimes or done sure. something. I mean, it's just, it's just a way of life at that point. It's, it's as normal as your average white girl going and getting Starbucks. Um, it would be it would be so easy to get you caught up in something that you probably genuinely didn't do. Right. No. And and, and we'll jump into sort of the facts of this young thug thing and, and what they've charged him with. It's it's the indictment is fifty six counts, one hundred and eighty two overt acts related to the RICO, eighty six pages. Yeah, we have it in front of us. The the first count is the the RICO or racketeering charge. That's the only one the young thug is actually charged in. Right. There are then fifty five other counts that involve what the prosecutor's theory is his underlings, his underlings, and all the crimes they've did dating back to over ten years. Twenty thirteen yeah. dates back to twenty thirteen. So these are allegations that have probably already been convicted on, or many of them have been convicted on, that involve. I think. Which is really bad for him, right? If this allegations are convicted, then that goes to show that that actually happened. Yeah. So once you've got allegations that are uh, already proven, it, it's it's you know you can't say they didn't happen. You just have to prove it, that you didn't have connection with it. I it, guess roughly thirty different people involved, all of them, every single one of them, and this is part of their theory on the case has a street name tied to them too, their actual legal name, and then a street name. And I think. Um, uh, what's Young Thug's actual name? Jeffrey. Jeffrey is listed by his actual name and then his street name. All these, you know, you've got this this Martinez Arnold, a.k.a. Duke, Damon Baylock, Bally, Javaris Badford, a.k.a. Tuda. It goes on and on and on and on. So where I, I always say when you think of a RICO charge, the old adage, birds of a feather flock together, 
That's the way for the government to charge the birds of the feather that are flocking together. You may not be the person that actually did the act. You may not be the guy. And and the charges are all over the place that they say this criminal organization got involved with. Possession of drugs, selling murder, drugs, narcotics, robbery, murder, possession uh, of a firearm by a serious violent felon. Hijacking. Car robberies. There's just, it just, the list Doors getting off. kicked in, house robberies. Dealing. Dealing drugs, dealing marijuana. Dealing hydrocodone, narcotics in general. Yeah, I'll, I mean, it, the list goes, and like I said, there's 50, 55 other counts that are all examples of what they are saying is this large organization. So, they have a little background. And this is something that I, I, I said to Brad right before uh, the podcast started, which, which, you know, I don't think we have any, very many listeners around my age, but... When I was in high school, you know, I had a group of like 10 friends and we had our own secret handshake. And that, if we were involved in criminal activity, that would have been considered a gang. Well, it's a, so. Um, we didn't have a name. There are different things they look for in criminal activity, criminal gang activity. That in Indiana, there's a statute that actually defines examples of it. So one of the things is, you know, a unique handshake, unique code words, colors, colors in common, uh, clothing in common. Uh, tattoos acknowledging the gang or tattoos reflective amongst all the members. Those are all things that uh, are evidence that are allowed to establish that this was a gang. And the racketeering charges actually got started, uh, or their foundation is is in the, the mafia days. Uh, the, the mafia was in its prime. I think John Gotti, was it? The they, one that they really tried to hit, was it the first one? Yeah, because they... Uh, you know, think about it. if you're at the head of the head of a criminal organization, yeah, your hands aren't dirty. You're keeping your hands clean always, and now oh, somebody gets in trouble. I didn't know anything about that. Well, the the law, you know, the people that create laws, Congress and the state legislatures, are like, well, wait a minute, we keep hitting all the guys that are doing the dirty work, but the guy that's profiting the most at the top and getting the biggest benefit out of this is just letting everybody take hits for him. That doesn't make sense, and you know, rightfully so. Uh, they figured out we got to figure out a way to do that. So they created these things called Rico Rico laws, um, racketeering, criminal gang activity. These are all charges. What's that the were, I? I know racketeering something corrupt influence, uh, or corrupt organization. Oh, racketeering influence corrupt organization. Corrupt yeah, corrupt or, uh, corrupt organization. And so they created all these uh, different charges to come up with ways to go after the heads of the snake. And in this case, they, they filed a conspiracy to violate the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. And that's a, a Georgia law under 1614-4-C. And so that's the only one that Young Thug is charged under because they're saying he was the head of the snake or one of the heads of the snake. And he's keeping his hands clean by having all these people underneath him do all these crazy different criminal activities. All right. So he's been housed at the Fulton County Jail since May 2022. And he faces up to two decades behind bars, which honestly sounds pretty lax for what they're alleging. Uh, and there's eight charges, including violation of the Georgia Controlled Substances Act, possession of a firearm while committing a felony, conspiring to violate Georgia's RICO Act. And he has pleaded guilty or not guilty to each offense. The trial has begun on November 27th, and there's been a lot of hiccups with that as well. Has been a complete media. I mean, everything has been all over the news. And thankfully, they've allowed cameras in, which has brought its own problems that we're going to talk about. And the, the charges are alleged to have happened between 2013 and 2022. So literally a decade in the making. Like they go far as far back, I think it was like May of 2013. And those are the, but that, those are the, 
Those are the instances they are alleging occurred under count one. Right. So and those are not those are not separate criminal charges. Those are the essentially the allegations that they're making under count one to show that this criminal organization um, exists. And those those are are very detailed. There's um, within that count one. I'm trying to take a quick look here. They it's list, a lot. It's a it's a book, literally. I, I mean, it is like I said, the fifty eight different or fifty six different counts of the uh, what is it sixty eighty six pages of this uh, indictment again, that Young Thug is a part of. Sixty three of them are detailing the allegations that of crime that make up the uh, RICO count. So the first count occupies sixty three pages, and it, it lists 182 separate acts of criminal conduct that they are saying was part of this criminal organization. Now, keep in mind, too, the trial this is going to be— 10 years. Yeah, and the trial is going to be a year. Jury selection was 10 months. How much would you charge for this, knowing that you can't take cases for a year, and it's going to probably eat into the next year, too, because you can't take cases? Yeah, these these are monsters, so if you're going to— if you're going to be... This is at least a million dollars. Like, what, 1.3, 1.5 yeah, I mean, million? 10 months for jury selection, another year to try the case. Yeah, in legal fees, you'd have to charge somewhere north of a million dollars. Yeah. Because you're shutting your practice down. Yeah, this is and, all you're and, doing. And not only are you not, not, you not generating other revenue, by shutting your, essentially shutting your personal practice down, you're turning away all that revenue, but you're also, you know... Your name. Indirectly hurting all of your marketing. Yeah. Because eventually, you know, you turn business away for a year, that may, people it starts getting out. Now you can't, you can't call, you know, you can't call Brad. He's tied up in this murder trial. He's right. not he had time doing anything else. Now, if you win, he's going to explode. Yeah, and and you know, firms when they get hired on a high profile case, case like this, it's going to last that long. You have other people that work for you, so they're going to take on that that workload and and capture yeah, a lot of that just this business. specific attorney like his his whole his, firm yeah. isn't going to shut down he's probably the he's probably the head of the he's probably the head of the the law firm he's got other people working for him but it's that's an exhausting uh very tough thing to do to be in trial long when i first heard this this trial was as long as it was going to be i was like what in the world i thought only california did stuff like that when you're talking about 56 charges like what, thirty defendants, whatever it is, somewhere in that neighborhood, hundred and eighty four allegations and just in the first charge, I mean, you are talking about so many witnesses. I can't even imagine the number of witnesses you're gonna have to call. And then as a juror, you gotta try to remember. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Are they allowed to take notes? They can take notes. They can ask to rehear evidence like oh, if there's rehearing the evidence. If there's tapes <laughs> there. Yeah, I mean the 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 most recent trial I did, the first thing the jury did is said, we want to rehear the interviews. And so we had to go and everybody had to sit in the courtroom and listen to all the interviews all over again. So they can do that. They can reanalyze the evidence. They can ask to hear interviews again. If there's video, I'm sure there's videos of some of this criminal activity. There's probably phone calls, all that stuff. There is. There's phone calls. There's text. Um, and so. So they can ask to hear it is. And a lot of courts, if you want to ask to hear or see something, not all courts are this way. Sometimes, some, sometimes they send it back with the jury. But a lot of courts, if you want to ask to hear or see something, everybody, the attorneys, the defendant, prosecutors, everybody, judge, everybody has to come back in the courtroom and all sit there and watch them watch it. Yeah, so to give you a little history of this and a little background before we continue to dive into it, um, YSL 
the if it's considered to be a gang, it's considered to be a subset of the Bloods Gang Sex Money Murder, which was massive in New York City. And they actually have him on phone, which is transcripted, uh, talking with the leader of Sex Money Murder in New York. And that transcript transcript states that you know them talking about soldiers are going to die, men are going to fall, but it's all for the betterment of our empire. Wow. Soldiers are going to die. Oh, say that again. Soldiers are going to die. Men are going to fall, but it's all for the betterment of our empire. Okay. Yeah, that's a bad. That's a bad piece of evidence. Yeah. <laughs> soldiers are going. Soldiers are going to die. That's talking about your own people. Yes. And then empires are going to fall. I'm assuming that's talking about other people. Well, to create, he's <laughs> saying that men have to, to die so their empire can grow. To, to create the bigger empire. Yes. Yeah. No. Those. That's classic Rico language. Right, <laughs> right. That's like, what are you doing, dude? You know, I, it's amazing. To me, these um, these younger up-and-coming artists, once you start making enough money, man, you should have, like, an attorney on staff. I'm and sure you did. Every single thing that you're doing, you should be like, all right, how could this bite me in the ass? Now, obviously, you don't want – you don't, you can't you can't have all your stuff being so watered down that it's not going to connect with your audience. But yeah, gosh, you got to remember, you got to be, you got to be careful. I you can't remember, connect with your audience if you're not making music. Yeah, there was a back when I was a prosecutor, there was a local, um, a local major athlete in uh, uh, that played for one of the professional sports teams that used to be a victim of crime over and over and over and over and over and over and over again because of who he was surrounding him with. They stole from him all the time. And then he wouldn't want to actually cooperate and, and prosecute against him. This is kind of like the same, but in reverse. So if you're the head, if you're the guy that's making all the money, you know, you got all your boys from back in the day that maybe haven't moved on in life or going to, you know, ride your coattails. If you're the one that they're, you're supporting them, you're, you're, you're kind of providing for them. They're doing it, anything you ask them to do, you know, you got to be careful because if they take you, you they could take something you say that you didn't mean it to mean this. And then they go and do something criminal. Those communications be twisted around their own way. That's you, you directing them. And here's the thing, too, as well, is like a lot of people may think, well, just leave all those people behind. If you're making all this money, you know, why surround yourself with that? And here's the thing. These men have gone through the worst of life together. They have had friends killed in front of them, you know, family members arrested and they, that they'll never see again. They've gone through the worst of the drug epidemics. You know, they've seen it all together. So when they're making these music, this music, and a lot, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll pull money together sure. so that they can get, you know, studio time. And it'll all be under the auspice of if one of us makes it, all of us makes it. Right, we're going to take care of each other. Exactly. Which there, there's some nobility in that. There's some honor in that. Um, but you know, at some point when you become the man, you got to make sure that the the men you're taking along with you are are representing your brand, representing your business in a, in a in a positive way. All right. So Young Thug created his own record label called YSL Records, which means Young Stoner Life or Young Slime Life, and through that has recruited various rappers to his listings, including his best friend Gunna, which I had referenced, and Fanny Willis, the same prosecutor from Fulton County, Georgia. Uh, claims that this is actually a criminal enterprise and ga- slash gang that ran rampant in the streets of Fulton County in greater Georgia and helped use the proceeds from rapping to bolster his image in the criminal underworld. He's accused of trafficking or helping facilitate the trafficking, trafficking of narcotics and guns, as well as calling hits out on rival gang members and having multiple people in his gang possessing weapons despite them all being felons. Young Thug is claimed to have been the leader of the gang, the top shot caller, and is, is even reported to be, have called in a hit on fellow rapper and Atlanta native YFN Lucci while he was currently incarcerated in jail. And YFN Lucci was reportedly stabbed. However, he survived the attempt on his life. 
Now, this is interesting because YF and Lucci, he's considered a rapper, but he usually does like R&B. He does very sing-song music. I didn't even know he was a gang member. Like, I was so surprised. And I didn't find out till he was stabbed. And there is evidence that Young Thug probably called this hit out on him. And he had even, in one of the overt acts in 2019, Young Because Thug, he was making it big? Or what was the, I mean, what was the beef about? Lucci's a rival gang. Okay. Just, uh, and so in 2019, Young Thug made an Instagram post that tagged YFN Lucci and said, you're lucky I like everything you do for your kids and your mother, because otherwise that would have done killed you. Yeah, that's not good communication. So either. basically saying, like, because you take <laughs> care of your mama, I'm not killing you. Right, yeah. It's, you know, it, it, one of the, we were talking a little bit about this off off air before we taped one of the things that you know in, in my profession it's been surprising is how many of these um how many of my young clients um when they're involved in um a violent uh act uh, shooting stabbing whatever it is i can ask them what the what why what was the why and and many times they don't know we've just hated each other and they don't even know why they can't remember why and it's a lot of times it's just who they were affiliated with. It doesn't have anything to do with. There wasn't something where somebody crossed somebody. Somebody was with somebody else's girl. Or any of the classic. Type That's things. one of my favorite things to watch is gang members who have come to the age. You know, they're in their thirty, the late thirties, early forties, and they meet another gang member and they'll get on podcasts and they'll talk about like, man, the only reason why I hated you is because you were born on Fifty Second Street and not Fifty Fifth Street. <laughs> And if you take two, like you are the exact same as me, yeah, you take two or three steps back and think about but that. But you were born how, three blocks down the street, and because of that, I wanted to murder you. How stupid that is! If you take, just take a few minutes, just a few steps back. So, and then this is what happened. You know, I mean, you you say it's stupid, right? But these are people. Their whole community has always been grown up there. This started off well, that, in that, the crack epidemic. They, someone that, dies, and then they kill another one. Then another one dies, and another one dies, and then back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Then you're born into it. Then one of your friends dies. Now you want to go kill one of them, and it, the cycle perpetuates. Well, forever well and they th- there's a sense of belonging and safety right it's tribalism that. too they won't tribalism at its worst. Uh, they won't talk about that part of it but the the gang affiliation gives them a sense of belonging and safety that they aren't feeling the other well, way. well right because even if you're not in a gang if this gang from 52nd street finds out you're from 55th street even if right. you're not affiliated with a gang they might fuck you up right and so why not have the protection right yeah no it's it's bad the, if you look at this whole thing with Young Thug, though, the 184 different criminal allegations they said spanned over 10 years. That's 18, on average, 18 crimes a year. <laughs> They're saying that this yeah. criminal organization, they know, they, they believe they can prove, was a part of. And so, you know, you just work your way up, way up the chain and say, all right, well, who's if there's somebody in this group that could that has control that's directing this organization that could say, do this, don't do that. Who is it? And, you know, they, they're saying it was it was Young Thug. So let's start getting into the trial and the absurdities because this has been a complete circus show. Jury selection began in January of 2023, and at that time, 14 of the 28 people charged in the indictment were set to be tried together. That number has dwindled to six after some defendants either took plea deals or were separated to be tried later. A jury of 12 people, nine women and three men, and six alternates was finally selected on November 1st after several delays. The trial is expected to at least last at least a year. It took 10 months for Judge Granville, which is the judge's name, and the attorneys to select the jurors because of the unusual scope of the case and the expected length of the trial. The selection process was rife with its own viral moments, including a courtroom drug deal caught on camera. Now, I don't know if this was – I don't remember if this was jury selection or what it was, but basically one of the defendants walked up, and if I remember, it was either Xanax or Oxycodone, but basically dropped – a bag of pills into Young Thug's hand or like on the table or something like that. 
don't know the reasoning behind it, but literally everybody saw it, and Young Thug turned around and immediately gave it straight to the prosecutor. It was a big fiasco, and they called in question a lot if if he asked for that to happen, if he knew it was going to happen. He vehemently denied that he knew that was going to happen and talked about how stupid it would be to have that happen. Just when I think I've heard and seen everything, that's 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 when I have it. And then there was also a prospective juror ordered to write a 30-page essay about the importance of jury service after she skipped a selection day. But she skipped because she had a trip to Mexico planned for the last year and a half and said she hadn't taken a vacation since and just wanted to take a damn vacation. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, in in large jurisdictions, um, attendance for jury duty is is terrible. I think here in Indianapolis, it's somewhere around 50% just don't show up. And so, honestly, most of the time, nothing happens to him. Um, but judges do get frustrated. He did threaten to uh, after the couple after meeting her a couple times. He threatened to put her in six months of jail for every page that she had to write. So, I, I understand that judges get frustrated with it because obviously the criminal justice system cannot work if people don't show up for jury duty. So, for somebody to sort of flippantly not appear for it is. Uh, uh, is certainly you know disrespectful of the system, and you want you want to set an example for the others that are here and listening to it. This is not accepted behavior. This lady supposedly had a vacation that had been planned and prepaid for. It's not, so odd, it, you know. To me, normally, if you make that uh, a court aware of those kind of things, they will excuse you. But sometimes some judges are just sort of hardcore about those kind of things. Right in that page, I don't want to say thirty page. Yeah, uh, paper on the importance of jury duty. Uh, that'd be tough. A tough paper to write. Uh, triple that's a, space it. Yeah. <laughs> triple quadruple space. 18 font. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, four-inch margins. Um, but, yeah, it, it, that, that's double sword. I get why a judge is frustrated, but it seemed like a little bit of an overreaction in this this one instance in terms of uh, uh, how yeah, to deal Yeah, it's not like she it. was like, screw it, I'm staying home. Like, she had this yeah, plan one of the judges, uh, one of the f- one of the judges I was in uh, in front of as a prosecutor on a daily basis when we did jury selection, you get that current, you get that current or that uh, occasional juror that clearly just didn't want to be on jury. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want. To, they didn't want to spend their time doing it. And you know, imagine on this one, you're getting a lot of that because you're talking about people have to take away a year from their life. Who can do that, right? Very difficult. Um, you know, so you get all these excuses. People make up stuff, and sometimes. I can't be fair. I can't stand judgment. I can't do this. And one of the judges I used to be in front of, um, she was. It was a female judge. She she would um, pull her glasses down over her nose, look down at him, and be like, "Sir or ma'am, let me ask you a question. If you've been charged with a crime, let's assume you have been, would you want somebody like you to be on the jury, or would you want somebody to be fair?" And so she would turn around on them and make them sort of try to be introspective and say, like, "All right, if I sit in this guy's seat, maybe I should, maybe I should care about this and not be so flippant about it." So uh, yeah, it's easy to see where judges get frustrated. This seemed like a little bit of a over overreaction. Right. The judge also gave an insight into the financial troubles of the county when he ridiculed a potential juror when they asked for lunch every other week or so. With the exchange going as such, quote, "Feels like a long shot, but can we get like lunch maybe every two weeks or so?" And the judge acted very annoyed and said, you got a lot of nerve, man. You trying to ask me for lunch? And then he explained that Fulton County has a bad credit and he no longer has money to provide amenities for jurors. Quote, it's one of those things I wish I could provide you at this point in time, but I'm not in the position to do so. I can tell you that once you become a deliberating jury, I can make some arrangements for some substance. So obviously this was in jury selection 
or he's probably already selected but wasn't deliberating yet. Yeah, they don't normally buy lunch. But this was 10 jury, months but long. spread out over so long. This, and he uh, asked for every other week. That's five lunches. It would, it would just be a it would be a, a mess because uh, jurors get paid like $20 a day in, in a typical state. Imagine having to leave your job for a year. Yeah, no, you're pop. You're you're not paying rent. You don't have to be paid during that time period. Uh, many companies would. Uh, they can't fire you for it. They can't can't terminate you. But if you're an hourly worker, you're not going to get paid yep. most places. I mean, so that's why these jury selections on these cases are incredibly difficult. Yeah, because no, I'm not. I don't give a. I don't give a damn about. Sorry, but uh, okay, I'm a. I gotta, a, I gotta still live. Yes, I have to live. I'm right. gonna be homeless after this. So yeah. you get a lot of retirees, people that are maybe some people that are on disability, uh, but can still get to a courthouse and, and sit on a juror. You know, because otherwise, you know, imagine a parent being a parent. I mean, you can't take your kids to events or to school, yeah. or you know, it would be an incredibly try explaining to a, like an eight year old why they can't do all the things they want to do because yeah. you're on jury. No practice for the next year because get yeah. you there. Yeah, they're not going to take that at all. So yeah, very very difficult jury selection. In these these type of cases where it's going to go that long, a week long trial, which is like a, a in you know I, that's one of the things I hate about. Uh, court cases to be on a TV because a lot of it draws it out, makes it look like the criminal justice system is so slow. A week long trial is a long trial. Yeah, trials don't go more than a week very, very often. You start asking for more than a week of somebody, most jurors are going to have an issue with that. Yeah. Not, you know, most most people, even the people that want to do their civil duty, you're like, oh man, you're gonna, you need me to do something for a month? That's hard. Yeah. People's lives can't be just interrupted like that. So that's a bit, that's especially with no warning. Yeah, you right. know they, they just receive well, a letter in a mail. couple weeks. Yeah, you got to be here in a couple weeks, and usually you have no idea what you're sitting on. So you have no idea. You might be there on a one day misdemeanor trial, or you get the, you you see this and you're like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the, literally the worst case scenario as a juror. Got this sixty page thing with fifty six allegations. Are they handed the indictment? What's that? And are they handed the indictment? Uh, normally, this I can't even imagine. Before jury selection, most judges will read the the charging information or indictment to the jury. That that would take a day in this class, in this case. Yeah, just to read that document. So I I mean you have to do it though. You have to let them know what they're there about. So I I, I just can't fathom. It would be you'd have if you're a defense attorney, you'd have to be paid a fortune to do this. If you're a juror, you'd have to be somebody that's Either unemployed or retired, um, or on disability, on disability, independently wealthy, and have a company that can run without you being there day to day. Yeah, I mean, it would be difficult to find. Very. So on November 29th, the third day of the trial, Glanville called the attorneys into his chambers after screenshots from the trial live stream surfaced online showing the faces of four jurors. Many media outlets then started doxing said jurors and putting out their information. Now, doxing means that you basically. Facebook stalks someone and put all their information out there, their family, their name, their work, their address. So that's bad. And by media, you mean a loser's sense of the term because in today's social media world, no, I mean like, not media? I mean, oh, NBC, yeah. NBC News is not publishing a jury's face and giving the background. Okay, but then there, No Jumper was one of them, and they have like an 8 million audience. Right. But it's not mainstream media. It's not it, the traditional mainstream. Well, media. yeah, I guess it's not mainstream. It wouldn't be mainstream for like what 
your generation would call it, but my generation gets a lot of their news from places like, like that. I'd say in in older 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 days, pre social media, where there's a voice given to so many different people, something like this would have never happened. You know, major news organizations will never publish stuff about a juror. If it got out, it would have been in something like the Inquirer or what would be today TMZ, right? And they probably would have only published certain things about them, like this person is, you know, a chef that works in this. You know, they would probably still wouldn't have given the name. But now on social media, yeah, they just do it. It just explodes and it's going to be out there. Totally, one of the many many examples of how social media has impacted our culture. One of the which is the you know trying to. Keep anonymity is impossible. Very difficult. Very difficult. So the next day, prosecutors said they'd realized the photos of the jurors were more widespread than they first thought and asked them to intervene. But the judge said he wasn't going to, quote, going to weird them out by telling them that a few had been caught on camera. And because of that, a few days later, another juror told the judge she was concerned the jury could be seen on courtroom camera stream after she saw a months old video from pretrial proceedings online. She said she could still be fair, and Glanville made sure other jurors who heard her disclosing the video still believe they could be fair, too. But jurors aren't also, also aren't supposed to be researching, reading, or watching anything about the case. So Glanville responded to the woman finding the video by implementing his blanket ban on all social media use by jurors. He's not doing this so they don't find out stuff about the case. He's doing this so they don't find out that their identity they're on, is exposed. They're on it. Yeah, it's uh, everything we're talking about right here is why there are a lot of judges that are adamantly against cameras in the courtroom. They just are this. And this is a good basis. Why, you know, it's a real struggle between uh, courtrooms being public and and the public knowing about their. There's a lot of positives to it. Right. They get to see what their elected officials are doing. They get to see the judge. They get to see the prosecutor. They get to see the criminal justice system in action. But there are negatives to it, too. And this is one of them. Now, most of the cameras that are in courtrooms are mounted, fixed uh, and pointed in specific directions. So there's zero chance that a juror can be caught because jurors go in the box and then they go out of the courtroom. They have their own door. They don't go in and out the door. Everybody else does. And so they, you can set it up where they should almost never, there should be no chance of them being on camera. But when something like this happens, you know, it, it shows the downfall of, of having cameras in the courtroom and, you know, it, it, it's a double-edged sword. That's all there is to it. So the judge himself, actually, the people that have been watching the trial has one of the most sought after sightings and that's Jack, uh, his service dog. It's a black lab. He has it because he has PTSD. He's an ex-veteran. And this has actually been uh, uh, part of the trial, too, because Thug's lawyer, Brian Steele, was cross-examining a police officer about a stolen gun he found during a 2013 traffic stop in which Thug was arrested. And the judge says, please point the muzzle always down, no matter if it's unloaded. Okay, you make everyone nervous, including Mr. Kearns, who you pointed at. Glanville said, referring to a staff attorney, Wesley Kearns. A major contention of the charging documents in the trial is that a lot of Young Thug's own lyrics from his music are being used against him, something that, has, like I said, brought the rest of the country into a wider debate on if rappers and songwriters alike should be exempt from their works criminalizing them, stating that it stifles creative differences and that many of these rappers didn't do these crimes but either witnessed them or heard them as they were growing up in the ghetto. Here's a soundbite of one of his songs, Jumped Out the Window. Young Thug, and he's rapping, jumped out the window and I fled on the cops. Expletive had to run because I had meds I, in my I, socks. Let's stop for a second. I'd, I'd like you to do that in more of a rap format. No. <laughs> and I'm not pausing that so everyone can hear how goofy you just sounded. Hit the rocky road, then I led them to the projects, whole hood outdoors in the street. They trying to stop them. The state of Georgia alleges Young Thug's lyrics depict real life crimes. Prosecutors say YSL, the initials of Young Thug's record label, Young Stoner Life, also stood for Young Slime Life. 
That's a street gang they claim he led and used to direct crimes from murder to drug dealing. Here's Fulton County Prosecutor Adrian Love and her opening statement. Quote, he tells you, we committing them crimes. Pop out and shoot. Roll one up for the gang. He's not using gang colloquially. The evidence will show he's telling you they are a gang. Young Thug's attorney, Brian Steele, says those lyrics are art, not evidence. Quote, this is the environment that he grew up in. These are the people he knew. These are the stories he knew. These are the words that he rhymed. This isn't a ballad or a book. These are phrases in a song. End quote. Now, there has been evidence presented that has been painted as damning, such as text from Young Thug that show he may have, in fact, called in the hit on wife and Lucci and had him stabbed as well as recorded conversations, as I've said, with other gang members and leaders. Conversation between Thug and Kyle Ori, the alleged leader of Sex Money Murder Gang, is taped on January 25th. The conversation includes the following remarks, which are listed together in the indictment as a single overt act. Sacrifices must be made, soldiers must fall, in order for battle to be won. And 5, H020 Street Life, KG to God, 3 Shot, Nasty New, and M1, anyone, anybody not under one of these individuals in the state of Georgia must line up Pete Sap. There is no rolling from one to the other. Everything is as if you are one, sex, money, murder. Nothing added and nothing taken away, two guns. Now, sex, money, murder is big on using violence to get their way. And when they're saying no rolling from one to the other, it means no flipping from gang to gang that we are all under the same banner. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, what, you know, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit here in just a, in a minute. Um, they actually call what are considered gang experts in these trials, where they will take all this information we're talking about right here and translate it into normal people speak and say, uh, you know, based on experience, training, and having been in this world for X number of years, here's what these things mean. Most of those are detectives who've worked undercover inside of gangs for many, many years. And so they'll call an expert who will translate all that stuff and make it make sense. And they'll be able to do that. They'll be allowed to show that, Yes, I've I've been in here. I've had, I've had these communications. I've seen them repeatedly, and this is what this means. All right. So, just like when somebody says they're they're selling snow, just as a real rudimentary example, they they'll be an expert. Will take the stance that every time we've seen the word snow, and then we've done a drug bust, it's been cocaine. Right. Right. So on January seventh, twenty fifteen, per the state's account, Thug rents a twenty fourteen Infinity Q fifty sedan that is used in the murder of Donovan Thompson Jr. The indictment calls Thomas a rival gang member to Thug. Another overt act. Prosecutors later paint Thug as the mastermind behind this and several other killings of rival gang members. The murder was allegedly committed by YSL members Javaris Bradford, Justin Cobb, Diamante Kendrick, the rapper Yak Gotti, Demise McMullen, and Shannon Stillwell three days later. On January 26th, Thug says the following in a video post online. So an inward lie to they mama, lie to they kids, lie to they brothers and sisters, then get right into the courtroom and tell the God's honest truth. Don't get it. I don't get it. Y'all inwards need to get fucking killed, bro, from me and YSL. The prosecution links this statement to Donovan Thompson's, Thomas's murder as an overt act. On March 18th, 2018, Thug and Gunner are pulled over once again, and this has been a recurring instance in many years. Like, they were constantly getting pulled over. Another car is allegedly in their entourage is pulled over in the same stop. The latter vehicle is found to contain a fully automatic weapon with high-capacity magazines, including an AK-47. Since the weapons were not found in their car, neither rapper is charged. This traffic stop is listed in the indictment as an overt act committed by both artists. On August 8th, 2018, or 2019, Young Thug tags an alleged, alleged rival gang member, YFN Lucci, in a photo attached to the following statement. YFN, if I ain't like what you do for your mother and kids, I would have been killed you. The indictment lists the post as an overt act. There are many, many, many more pieces of evidence that are way too many to list, and it, this episode would be multiple days long. 
Young Thug's attorney has fiercely fought against any claim against his client, has remained steadfast in his defense, making many public media appearances to claim his client's innocence. There's even remarks made in court from Thug's attorney which stated that the terms and acronyms, acronyms truly meant. So one of those is swag, someone who admires God, YSL, young, means young soldiers of the Lord, slat, S-L-A-T-T, equals show love all the time, op. Op is something that, like, if you're an enemy gang, they're an op. It's someone that you would want to kill, basically. It means overly positive pal. Slime <laughs> means – that's the funniest one for me because op is someone that you kill on sight, and they turned it to the complete your opposite. your opposition. Yeah, your oppos- literally, your opposition. Slime, seeing Lord in me every day. Gang, going above normal guys. And Glock, guarding lives, overcoming challenges knowingly. So it's, uh, you know, it's really a um, very loving, caring religious group. Right. <laughs> That's what we've got here. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I'll give uh, Young's attorney an A-plus for creativity. I don't think anybody's buying no, it. No, I wouldn't buy that. I, I would. I would. I, I think it'd be hard to not actually laugh. Uh, yeah, when, when, what was the one for um, gang? Going above normal guys. <laughs> that, may, that may be the only one that just maybe... It would be, no. no. Nobody believes that. None of them. Gang isn't even an acronym to begin with. None so. of them are acronyms. No, that's a, okay. Yeah, and I mean, op is spelled like when gang members use it as OP, just op. Right. Like he's an op. And then he put OPP, overly positive pal. Yes, that's their overly positive pal. The guy that is just so positive. Yeah. Sometimes he The rival you. coke dealer <laughs> who I would love to murder. He's just a pal. Yeah. hate that guy, but man, yeah, good, I he's mean, a swell dude. That, that 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 one's going to hurt the credibility a little bit, I'm afraid. The trial, already expected to last up to 12 months, adjourned for the holidays early Early after one of the men prosecutors alleged conspired with Young Thug was stabbed in jail Sunday night up in the ante for the most bizarre twist in a case already brimming with him. The judge told the jury on Monday only that a participant in the trial had a medical issue come up and the trial wouldn't be in session that day. He told them Tuesday morning, unfortunately, that medical issue still exists and recessed them until January 2nd. This is the second time in 18 months that Shannon Stilwell, who was the person that was had this medical issue, was stabbed in jail related to this case. And it is the same criminal indictment that has kept Doug, Doug locked up since May 2022. Yeah, that guy, I mean, the judge did the right thing. Everything he did to, to deal with that situation is spot on what you should do. But I, they're, assuming the person's going to end up being okay and recover, they're going to put that guy in solitary confinement. Yeah, I, I'm honestly, I think that the people that are trying to kill him, and if it's not a rival gang, it's going to be Thug and his people are trying to kill him because Shannon Stilwell is one of the triggermen who has the most bodies under Thug. And so I think they're trying to kill him so that way he can't even can't testify. Exactly. Yeah. The judge told all the jurors that they had to completely refrain from using any social media while they were on recess and not just refrain from reading anything about the case as is typical. The case will resume in January. Yeah, my my um, my son is a is a oddball and that he doesn't use any social media at all they, if, unless they got a bunch of him on the jury that's not happening right <laughs> they're gonna log into their accounts as i'm leaving in the car in these three or four week break in the car on the way home they are logging into this account um so that's uh this long episode thank you for sticking with us that's sort of the the groundwork on this trial it's going to be going on for the next year so as our major developments we'll 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 do uh, some more episodes bringing you up to speed on uh, what's going on with this trial, and, and we'll keep an eye on it and follow it along the way and bring you some more material when it's it's relevant. To that end, um, this Richard Allen case, uh, Delphi, that we've been following, uh, we did a long episode about that and what's going on with the judge uh, being taken up to the Supreme Court in a somewhat unusual 
uh, twist that the Supreme Court has set that for oral arguments, which means the attorneys and the parties are going to be present in front of the judges where they can, they'll drill them. That's what they do. They give them about a minute or two to speak, and then they immediately start peppering them with questions. That takes place, I think, January 15th, January 17th, somewhere in that neighborhood. So we'll we'll have a follow-up episode on the Delphi coming up for you on that issue once it comes up. Uh, we hope you all have had a wonderful Christmas and that the new year brings in a bright future, good 2024 for you. Thank you all for joining us. This has been another episode of Pocket Wall Talks. See ya.